I'm just a poor wayfaring stranger traveling Welcome to this podcast from Faith Bible Church in Reno, Nevada. Faith Bible Church is a Christ-centered Bible teaching ministry dedicated to bringing the good news of the gospel to the whole world. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And now for this week's message. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having my family here with us and uh, with us all and um just for my kids, when we said the word Catholic, it's not Catholic like you guys thought it was, okay? It means universal. It doesn't mean like the Catholic Church and and the Pope and all that good stuff. So just want to make sure you guys aren't going, oh man, what's dad doing? <laughs> so, um, okay, so, all right, perfect. Um, could I get everybody to stand up really quick? Hey, Tom. Could you guys all hold your hands up like that? All right, sweet. Go ahead and sit down. I just wanted to make sure nobody had any tomatoes or anything to throw at me first. So to start off with, um, I just want to thank you again for having me here. So let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll... We'll dig in. Father, we just thank you for this time that we can open your word and we can look to you and we can be further rooted in our faith, Lord. We just ask that you would open our ears and open the eyes of our heart, Lord. Many times we can preach and we can teach and it becomes head knowledge, but Father, we need your spirit to come and bring it 12 inches lower into our heart. And so, Father, I just pray that you would do such a thing today. And I ask it in your name. Amen. So there's a couple stories that I first want to talk about. The, uh, the first story I want to look at and, um, is the disciples. These are in the Gospels. The disciples are in the boat. And uh, they're rowing across the boat. And there's somebody sleeping in the boat. Can any, this is the participation part. Can anybody tell me who's sleeping in the boat? Jesus is sleeping in the boat. So all of a sudden, a gale comes up, a storm comes up, the winds start to come, and the boat starts to fill with water. And the disciples then start to freak out, right? So what do they do? They wake up Jesus, and Jesus says, oh, you have little faith, and then he does what? He, he calms the storm, and he rebukes the storm. And so we see where Jesus is able to rebuke creation and we see where he is able to control that second story again the disciples are on the water they're rowing across the water it's nighttime, and uh they see someone walking on the water to them who's that and then who says let me come out to you peter right so peter begins to walk out to jesus and then what happens to peter he starts to sink, right? 
So why does Peter start to sink, though? He's looking in the wrong direction. He didn't keep his eyes on the object of his faith. He looked away. And so likewise, that can happen to you and I. And we see that it happens to the, the uh, uh, disciples often. They, they lose this object of their faith. And so today, I want us to look at what happens when troubles happen in our lives. When we have a troubled heart, where does the object of our faith go? So if you don't mind, turn to John 14. John 14. Now, this is the second chapter in the upper room discourse that Jesus is talking to them about. Let me get there. Would have been better if I had my marker there. So we're in the upper room discourse. And this is the time where Jesus starts to instruct the 11, the 11 disciples about what is going to happen, what is going on, what he's going to do, and comfort them in many ways. Now, the verse says, let not your hearts be troubled. So obviously their hearts were troubled. Something had to happen in chapter 13 that gets their hearts troubled. Up to this time, they're walking with Jesus, and they see some amazing, amazing things in Jesus' ministry, right? They see him turn water to wine. They see him feed 5,000. They see him heal a blind man in John chapter 9. In John chapter 11, he raises Lazarus from the grave. They've seen these many things, these miraculous things. And so then comes the upper room discourse, and Jesus washes their feet as they are trying to figure out who's the greatest of them. And yet the greatest is the one washing their feet. And then Jesus drops three bombs on them in this text, in 13. And he drops this. One will betray him. One will deny him. And he's leaving. So of course their hearts are going to be troubled. They must have been a mess. Because this one that that was leading them is like, I'm leaving. So their hearts and their their, their hearts are are troubled. So what could trouble us? You know, because Jesus isn't, we don't have to worry about Jesus leaving. We're in anticipation of Jesus coming. But what can trouble our hearts? Maybe over the last year it's been the COVID. Maybe the COVID, obviously not in here, you know, because... You guys are pretty mask-free. So, but, you know, but maybe the, the COVID has got you stressed out. You know, uh, our family went through it with my dad. Um, maybe the government's got you troubled. You know, maybe, maybe your guy didn't win. You know, maybe friends who have hurt you, your hearts are troubled. Your family has hurt you. Your heart can be troubled. These are things that can well up in us. Maybe our health is bad. Our finances aren't great. Our 401k isn't where we want it to be. Maybe there's a death of someone close like Alan to you guys. Maybe there's responsibilities that you thought were under control and now there's so much greater in your own heart. And maybe there's no troubles for you right now. Maybe life is good. And I'm happy if life is good for you. Maybe that's how it works for you. But whatever it is that could be troubling your heart, 
Faith in God, the Father, and God, the Son, is the only way we can experience true comfort. It is not the amount of faith we have, but it's the keeping our eyes on the object of our faith. This is exactly where Jesus directs the disciples' hearts and ours, is to the object of their faith. So in John 14, 1, we have some few words that I want to describe really quick to us. The first word I want us to look at is heart. This word means the seat of feeling, impulse, affections, desires, the inner part of us, what makes us up. This is what's troubling them, this inner part of them. The word trouble means to agitate, anxiety, doubt, and unsettledness. So we see that they're the inside of them, the very thing that makes them up is unsettled. It's agitated because of these things that Jesus said in 13. The word believe means to believe, to believe in, to trust. And so when we look at this verse and we break it down, we can put it this way. Because of how the verses are, there's two commands in this verse. There's two commands. Let not your heart be troubled and believe. And what these verses mean in here is it's a continual thing. So here's what Jesus is saying to the disciples as he looks at their hearts. We are to continually not let our hearts and feelings, affections be agitated or unsettled, but you and I are to continually believe, put our trust in, and have an unshakable faith in God the Father and Jesus. This is the tense of the verse. So is your heart that way? Is your heart that way? So then, what does a faith that comforts in the seas of trouble, of a troubled heart, look like? What's this faith look like? Just two points, because I only got a half hour, so that we're going to look at. Just two points really quickly. Look at the verse. Let not your hearts be troubled, Believe in God, believe also in me. The first thing that true faith anchors itself, it anchors itself in the belief in God and who God is and who God is for us. The first thing I want us to look at is that he loves you and he cares for you. God loves you and he cares for you. Isaiah 43, 1. Uh, I'm gonna read some of these. I didn't get it to the guy quick enough for this. But Isaiah 43, verse 1, says this. But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba, in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, people in exchange for your life. God loves us. He cares for us. He brings that analogy of going through the fire, going through the river, during the storm. You know, we don't have to wait for God in the storm, as the song said. No, God is in the storm with us. 
That is where he is. He's going through the storm with us. Jesus is going through the troubled hearts with these. He's gonna be with his disciples as he goes through these things. And even us today, as we have troubles in our own heart and we have to deal with our own heart, don't forget that God loves you and he's in the storm with you. Uh, 1 Peter, 1 Peter 5 tells us this. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So we see this love of God for us. We see this care of God for us. This roots us and and anchors us in our faith. Also, he is for you. He is for you. Turn to Romans chapter 8, if you don't mind, real quick. Romans chapter 8, or, you know, scroll there with your phone, whatever you use. So Romans chapter 8, he is for you. Romans 8.31 says this, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And he gives this analogy, or he gives this, uh, Paul tells us after that, that if he's given us Christ, how could he hold anything for us? Earlier in that text, he says that we have to remember that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. Notice it says all things work together for good. Not just good things work together for good, but bad things work together for good. All things work together for good for those who are called. And why are they good? Because those all things, if we look past that and we look at the end of that, those all things are famine and death and and those things that Paul talks about. All these things that work together for good are for one purpose and they are to conform us to the image of Christ is what they are to do. They're to conform us to his image. That's what God is in the business of doing. When we have a faith that is anchored in God's love and God's care for us, and we have a faith that is anchored in who God is for us, then we begin to look more like Christ. Because that's where Christ's faith was. It was anchored in the Father. Not only is he loves us and cares for us, or he's for us, but he's sovereign. You guys have probably heard that many a times. He's sovereign. Exodus fifteen eighteen says, The Lord will reign forever and ever. Job forty two two. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. God is in absolute control of everything. He's in absolute control of everything. And that could be tough. That could be tough. A couple of years ago, my family and I, uh, we went through some pretty hard times, pretty dark stuff that uh, wasn't really good. And, um, and it was by people that, that we cared and loved for. And it was really hard because we, have to, we had to really struggle with this sovereignty. We had to really struggle with God's sovereignty to apply it to our lives, to know that God was still in control. You know, when our worlds are going nutty and they're being flipped upside down, it's hard to get on your knees and say, but you got this handled because you don't see it that way. But we have to trust when we have troubled hearts and the seas of a troubled heart are raging that God is in control of the sea. He's in control of all this. He is sovereign. Not only is he sovereign, but he's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. 
Psalm 62.11 says, Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God. Psalm 66.3, Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. This is our God. He is all-powerful. Not only is he all-powerful, but he is all-knowing, or he is omniscient. Turn to Psalms 139, if you please. Psalms 139. This is what the psalmist writes. He says, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. That could be scary. You search out my paths and my lying down and are acquainted with my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in, behind and before, and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. God is all-powerful. God is all-knowing, and he is everywhere present. If you were in the Sunday school this morning, he's, he's present everywhere. Continue with me. In Psalm 139, verse 7, we see his omnipresence here. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. Your right hand shall hold me. So a faith that comforts in the sea of troubled times. A faith that is anchored in God is what Jesus is pointing his disciples to. Secondly, let's look back at the verse, John 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe believe also in me. True faith anchors itself in believing in Christ and who Christ is and who Christ is for us. The same thing. We see this triune God where Jesus is pointing us to this triune God and we will see that later in 14, in verse 16 where he says he's sending another one. He's sending a comforter. He's sending one who's going to be with us. But we're going to concentrate on Jesus, not on the Holy Spirit. So what do we want to know about Jesus? And we all know this, but we need to know it here. We need to know it here, not here. It needs to get here. Well, that he is God in the flesh and the creator of all things. John 1, one. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. This is Jesus. This is his incarnation. In verse 14, it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. God becomes flesh, and he dwells among us, and he is full of grace and truth. This is our Savior, Colossians 1, 15 says this, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, or all things were created through him and for him. Hebrews tells us that he is the exact imprint of God, the exact representation of God. 
Jesus is God in the flesh. He is the creator of all things. He is the one that holds all things together. The reason we don't blow up right now is because Jesus is actively holding all of us together. This is what he does. Not only is Jesus God in the flesh and the creator of all things, but for us believers, he's our high priest. But he's not any kind of high priest. He's a high priest that intercedes forever. He's the high priest that sympathizes with our weakness. In these troubled hearts, he sympathizes with us. He gets it because he was man. Listen to what Hebrews 4.15 says. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus understands our hearts. He understands our weaknesses. He understands our frailties. He understands that we're but dust. He gets it. All we have to do is read in the Gospels and we see his life. He understands what it's like to be betrayed. He understands what it's like to lose somebody, right? Jesus wept when Lazarus died. He understands all of us. He understands our emotions, our feelings. And this high priest not only sympathizes with our weakness, but he's a high priest who is faithful in all things. Second Timothy or Second Thessalonians three three says, "But the Lord is faithful; He will establish you and guard you against the evil one." Second Timothy two thirteen, if we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. Faithfulness is one of His attributes. He can't deny himself. He is faithful. He is a faithful high priest. He is God in the flesh. He's the creator of all things. And he's the one who has overcome the world and gives us his peace. Turn to John 16. The Gospel of John, chapter 16, please. This is actually at the end of the Upper Room Discourse. Time flies. You guys got to listen faster. <laughs> this is what he says in John sixteen thirty three. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Notice he doesn't say in the world, in your families, in your homes, in the storms of life. He doesn't say those things. He says, in me you have peace. Our peace resides in Christ, who he is, who he is for us, what he's done for us. In the world you will have tribulations. I don't understand when people preach Christ and they say, just come to Christ and everything's going to get better. No, come to Christ and everything's going to get worse. That's what he says. You will have tribulations. <coughs> you will have tribulations. And I lost my spot. In the world, you will have tribulations, but take heart. I've overcome the world. We have a Savior who's overcome the world. He knows our tribulations. 
Finally, brothers and sisters, believing in, trusting in the cross work of Jesus Christ and the cross work will calm the troubled heart. And since today is communion, as we approach communion, I want us to think through this part also. So the first of all, when we look at the cross of Christ, we have to understand one thing. As it calms our hearts, as it settles us down, that the cross work of Christ displays God's glory first and foremost. Christ came to glorify the Father. And that's what it is. It is the pinnacle of God's glory. The cross is. We see everything. We see everything who God is and everything who Christ is and everything that the Holy Spirit is all working for the glory of God and for our redemption. So the cross displays God's glory. The cross is where we see the perfect Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John 1.29. The next day, this is John the Baptist, he saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John knew it. He knew that Jesus was here to take away that sin. The cross displays God's glory. The cross is where we see the perfect Lamb of God sacrificed. The cross is where Christ's body and his blood was spilt, was poured out. Isaiah 52 says that he was marred beyond any recognition. You couldn't even tell he was a man hanging on the cross. And yet one of the thieves sees a king. Sees a king. The thief's faith was anchored in a bloody cross. The cross is where Christ bore our transgressions and where he was pierced for our iniquities. Please turn to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. Verse 5. The prophet writes this, but he, being Christ, we're talking about Christ, but he, Christ, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. He drank the cup of God's wrath that brought him to his knees three times in the Garden of Gethsemane for us. The cross displays God's love for us. Finally, one, it displays God's love for us. Easy verse, right? It puts God's love on display, right? The cross does. Romans 5.8. All of us know Romans 5.8. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The cross is where the payment for all our sins, past, present, and future, were paid in full. Colossians tells us that very thing in chapter 2 where God has nailed it to the cross, the debt that was due. So, as we come to communion, I don't know if you and Martin want to come up now. So as we come to communion, may our hearts not be troubled. May we remember that whatever circumstances trials, tribulations, hurts, and pains may come that we can find comfort for our troubled hearts 
in God's love and care for us, in his all-sufficient power, knowledge, and presence, we find comfort in who Christ is as our high priest, we stay anchored in who he is for us, and we find this comfort in the finished work of redemption fully displayed in his sacrifice on the cross. Let's pray. Father, thank you for, for this time. Thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for, for comforting the heart, Lord. Thank you for showing us that belief in you and belief in Christ is what calms the seas of our troubled hearts. So, Father, please root that deep in us that we would know that you care for us and that you love us, that we would know that Jesus is a faithful high priest, that we would know that within your triune God that you all three are all-powerful, all-knowing, and everywhere present. May we look at the cross today, Lord. May we see Christ's sacrifice. May we hear the words, it is finished. May we remember today, Lord, that Christ's body was broken for us, that his blood was spilt, the blood of the new covenant in which you remember our sins no more. Father, I just pray now that if any of us have any unrepentant sin, Lord, that we would confess that to you now, that we would have hearts that are pure as we go to communion, Lord. We just ask these things in your name. Amen. First Corinthians eleven. If you want to turn there, you can. As we come to the table, in verse seventeen, in verse twenty-three. Sorry, I skipped six verses. Paul says this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This is a cup in the new covenant, in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So let's pass these out.
Again, Paul tells us. Let me find it here. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for this time of worship, Lord. We thank you that we could gather here as your people, as your bride, as your children to proclaim how great you are, to sing praises to you, to sing that the king is exalted, he's truly exalted, to sing the songs that you shall reign. And may, Lord, you reign in all of our hearts. May you today comfort us where we need comforted, Lord. May you put deep into our hearts your word that it would anchor us to the Savior and who you are. We praise you and thank you for this time. In his name, amen. Thank you for listening to the preaching of God's word from Faith Bible Church in Reno, Nevada. We hope that it has been an encouragement to you and that the word of God will fill your hearts and minds as you walk through this world. If you have been blessed by this ministry and would like to make a small donation to help defray the cost of this podcast, just click on the green support button at the top of the webpage. Thank you.